Hey Radical Contemporaries, this is season 9 of the podcast. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this season because it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to do a few episodes with guests and a lot more monologues for me. So look forward to that. In this episode, I speak to Nadia Eldesher, the co-founder of Snap14. We speak about how she went from being a journalist to getting into production the challenges of working in such a high stress as well as very much a detail-oriented industry, being a mom as well as being a producer, and turning Snap14 into one of the most successful production companies in the region with her husband, Adam. Without further ado, this is my conversation with Nadia. All right, guys. So right now I'm sitting with Nadia Eldesher, the amazing co-founder of Snap14. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. I can't believe you're in my house now. And uh, <laughs> Adam, her husband, is like right there and Farah from her team. Um, so we're going to get into it. Like there's a, actually I have a lot of questions for you. Um, Go for it. But first I like to usually like, you know, go back a little bit with my guests. Um, you're a golfy kid like me, which is oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I grew up in Jeddah. Oh, can you cool. imagine? Yeah, I yeah. swear, but I can I can catch golfy kids like this. I swear, yes. like it's <laughs> it's a vibe. It really is. I swear, I literally catch them from a mile away. It's crazy. Yeah. Like the minute they start talking, I'm like, yeah, this person didn't live here. <laughs> I don't know where, but it was somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Like, sure. where did you grow up? I was born in Abu Dhabi and I grew up there, was there until I was 17. Okay. And then I traveled to the UK. I was there for college for three years. Wow. Where did you go for college? The University of Kent. Oh. So I was in the southeast of England studying biomedical science, which is like biomedical science i I was just very what very smart like very good (laughs) at biology really good at maths and chemistry like these were my natural like fortes so and would you like call yourself like a like a nerd no no not to that extent no no i wasn't that smart really yeah yeah but smart enough like (laughs) okay no because i I feel like i was a nerd in school like fully like yeah just la la i i i would have i had like my grades were above average um but i naturally did like really well in all of those fields Uh and when I was applying for university, I was like 16 at the time. And honestly, I don't think anyone at that age really knows what they want to do. But mm. I applied with, completely based off of what my high school counselor recommended, which was political science and okay. international relations. She's like, I could really see you doing politics. I was like, great, I'm going to do that. Really? And so I signed up for that. And I somehow got in, even though all of my A-levels were like mostly in sciences. And that's where I had all my A's. And then when I went to university, I get to my first lecture and I have no clue what anyone's talking about. (laughs) Don't know anything about like history. Mm -hmm. I studied mostly sciences in high school. So most of my background was science-based and I did that for maybe three days and was miserable. Number one, I was super homesick. So I was like crying all the time. And then I had no idea what was happening in class, which was really unusual for me because I always did pretty decent in school and then was surrounded by people I didn't know. So it was a really hard transition. I went and saw the university counselor. So like I Mm -hmm, was just mm -hmm. constantly like loved being told what to do. (laughs) And then she said, how did you get into this course? (laughs) She saw my grades and was like, 
how are you not in sciences? Your grades are so good. Like you should check out these courses. She gave me like a short list and a breakdown. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly how I got into biomedical science. It was literally just like convenience. It wasn't at all intentional. And it was a really interesting course. Honestly, it's biomedical scientists either end up being lab technicians doing like Mm-hmm. normal lab tests or they do research which is a lot of what I enjoyed okay and what my final thesis was about but I knew from like the end of year two I did an internship at a pharmaceutical company over the summer and I knew then that there's no way I was going to do this no way yeah so you literally finished the diploma and you were like this isn't for me before I finished it was a year before I was wow. about to graduate but this it didn't like demotivate you in any sense to like complete it though like you were like no yeah you're just like i'm gonna get it done and then i'm gonna figure out what i want to do exactly really yeah wow okay (laughs) wow all right so i went back um, after the summer finished that year and back to abu dhabi no back to the uk because i traveled i traveled home for the summer yeah yeah did the internship there at a pharmaceutical company and realized that the job was so antisocial, mm. so secluded. There was no like human interaction almost. And really? most of the people that worked in these types of facilities and labs are not so interested in in like social mm. interaction. And that's when I realized that that is such an important part of what I like in a job and what I would look for in a job. So, um, yeah, so I had one year left and finished that year, mm-hmm. graduated, and realized that your degree is not that important. I don't know. <gasps> Can a bit, we say a bit that? controversial. <laughs> <laughs> but it's oh it's God. it's not. Like yeah. in my opinion, I don't think it is. And I don't think that I think you learn a lot at university, a lot of skills and a lot of things that come into play when you work, but mm-hmm unless you're a doctor or an engineer or like there where there there needs to be so much knowledge i don't think that you strictly have to do what you graduate from university with um interesting so, yeah. so like i think i've i've thought about that a lot too honestly and i i don't know this whole narrative of like whether or not your degree is important but i'm very fascinated by people who end up doing something so far away from their degree. Like, I, I suppose we could say that about you for mm-hmm. sure now. Yeah. But then I'm more interested in figuring out, like, how did you find the thing? Like, how did you end up essentially founding a production company? Which is crazy. <laughs> I know I'm sure it's like a very big arc, but if you can give us like the 411 story, yes. because I think it's so... It's just, it just fascinates me. Like, I really am so interested by like, how did you go from this to going like, okay, so I'm going to find a different, you know, like passion, let's call it. Yeah. I didn't start off in production at all. Like when I first graduated from university, I moved back to the UAE, was living with my family and knew that I wanted to pursue something in fashion. That was my main kind of goal. Interesting. And I applied for internships like in, I don't know, I can't, I think I like over a hundred different magazines mm. all over the world. Okay. And we all know that email and like, it's just magazines. They never reply. It's they so, don't, they just don't Why at all. don't they reply? It's so weird. <laughs> they, even get though flooded. I write, <laughs> they get flooded I with write, emails. I write for like several magazines and they don't even reply to me, girl. Like I swear, <laughs> like I'll submit the article and it's like, okay, I'll see you in print. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all oh you're getting. Oh my God. So, so, okay. So you did the whole, like, I'm going to email everyone, but fashion is an interesting place to start because I think mm. it's, it's, it just shows that, you know, you always had that sense of creativity, I'm sure. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. And I wasn't, I wasn't so keen on working on magazines in the Middle East. Like at the time, this was in 2009. Okay. There weren't that many options. No. And, or at least I didn't know that many options. Yeah. Um, so when I found the magazines that were in the UAE, mm. I was like, okay, I'm going to try this too. But I was mainly looking to work at a magazine in the UK. Like I, oh. I loved being in the UK. I still had friends that were finishing their courses off there. So I was like, that was my, my aim was to go back and work in London. Um, and then I was at a nail salon <laughs> in Abu Dhabi, like the best place for anything to happen. Uh-huh. And saw this magazine sitting on top of the drying bar and I looked and I was like, wow, that's a really nice cover. Okay. And I like flipped through the magazine and I looked through it. It wasn't a big magazine. It was really thin, but just like beautifully written, really mm. like gorgeous photos. I'm I, dying to know which, what magazine <laughs> It doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> but I realized this magazine was not just a UAE-based magazine. It was based out of Abu Dhabi specifically. And I was like, what? what is this magazine? I've never heard of it. It was called okay. M magazine. M. So it's, it's like discontinued or something. Yes. Okay. Well, it changed. So All right. it was a supplement magazine to the national newspaper, mm. which is like, in my opinion, like the, the strongest newspaper coming out of that region. Right. Um, and I knew the newspaper, but mm. I had no idea that they had a magazine. Mm-hmm. So I found out, I found their address and just uh-huh. like just went oh, just no went way. there i swear yeah did you really i <laughs> yes. love that okay and what's so crazy is it was just down the street from my school so uh-huh. it was literally one street down from my high school so i drove there and i get in and i talk to the lady at security and i say i want to go in and see the editor-in-chief his name was Hassan, <laughs> so i said i want to go see him and she said, do you have an appointment? Mm. I said, no, I don't. No, I'm just here to clean <laughs> No, I'm just job. here. I want to, yeah, I was like, I want to give him my resume. And I love and, it. And she said, you can't go in without an uh-huh. appointment. Like, and you had to have like a, a badge to go in. Okay. So I, I get out and I call my mom and she said, how did it go? I'm like, mom, I couldn't get in the building. And she goes, hold on. I think I know someone who used to work at another publication that's in the same building Mm. so she calls this woman on her landline because this woman did an article on my mom years ago she was a reporter and (laughs) she doesn't live at that address anymore like this was years ago so there was no mobile phone so she calls her on her old home phone but it just so happened that that person who lives in her place has her current phone number you're kidding i swear it was just like this crazy kind of found her so we found her okay my mom called her, explained to her that I wanted to get into the building. <laughs> and she was like, I don't know anybody at the National. And she said, I don't know anybody that yeah, yeah. that works there, but I, I can get her into the building. Uh-huh. So I go and wait in the car for a little bit. And then I go back in and I say, hey, I have an appointment with a person, this okay. woman. And she said, oh, do you now? <laughs> okay. She calls her and she said... Yeah, she does have an appointment with me. So she comes down, grabs me, mm-hmm. brings me in. 
And then instead of taking a left to go into the elevators, we take a right and we go into the newsroom. And she's like, okay, you're in. That's it. That's all you got. That's all I can do for you. So I walk in. For sure. Yeah, I walk into the newsroom and I'd never been into a newsroom before. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it's intense. It's Mm -hmm. huge. And there's people everywhere. And there's like TV channels playing with news broadcasting the whole time. And I'm just asking like random people like, hey, where's the editor-in-chief's office? Mm. Like super nervous, make my way in, get into his office and realize nobody's there. Okay. So I just sit and wait and wait and wait for hours. Because most editors don't really sit in their office. They're like circling the newsroom. They're doing things the whole time. Eventually, he shows up. He's like, who are you? (laughs) It's like, hi, my name is Nedia. And I gave him my resume and, you know, told him that I would love to work specific. I was very clear. I was like, I want to work at the magazine Uh and I don't have any knowledge of working at a newspaper, at a magazine. I just graduated from biomedical science. This is what I have. I'm willing Mm -hmm. to learn. I'm obviously looking for a job, but I'm happy to intern. I'm happy to do anything. Oh, wow. And he said, okay, somebody will call you. And I was like, all right, cool. He was very, very nice. Um, I even specifically said to him, like, I know it's a bit too late because I already, you know, did my degree. And he said, no, it's never too late. And I thought, okay, like small, tiny chance. So I left. hmm. Okay. So I just like need to ask you, so. Were you always like this confident? I love this. Like I think it's so cool because honestly, like I, <laughs> I don't want to tell you that I can relate, but I do things like this all the time. Like I yeah. will like literally just, I don't know. Like if, I, if there's a guest that, for example, mm. and, and you're by the way, I literally did this to you. I was like, hi, why <laughs> so. Were you always this confident? Like, where do you think it comes from? Because I feel like a lot of people listening to this story will be like, oh my God, how the fuck did she like actually, you know, do that? Yeah. And what about if if I get rejected, all of these things? Or were you just like, you know, I'm just gonna. Yeah, I think I have to a certain extent always been like this. Like deep down inside me, I there is a very, very shy person. Mm-hmm. I think my mom especially really helped me break out of that shyness from a young age like I used to do ballet and I used to perform like in front of so many people and I would just literally be shitting my pants Mm -hmm, like just mm -hmm. super nervous I used to do piano recitals and like and then I transitioned I played violin so like all of that just kind of prepared me in that sense to mentally be Mm. okay with messing up with not doing things 100% right but I just I've always been that person where like I don't really like know for an answer. Like you have yeah. to try a thousand things before I can say, okay, yeah, that's not going to work. Interesting. So, okay. so how did this pan out? That same day <gasps> I was shopping with my mom because I think she wanted to console me. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, it's okay. Malish, Habibi. Here comes the rejection. No, <laughs> yeah. just kidding. Like- but no, really. Cause like I left, I left the office yeah. and yeah. there was nothing like okay. there was no kind of, uh, there was nothing solid for sure. Uh, that was going to happen. So as I was shopping, I get a phone call from, I, I'll never forget her name, Jen Gerson. Okay. She was a reporter. Shout out, <laughs> Shout out to Jen. And she said, hey, I got your resume. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting an internship program next week. Oh. And wanted to see if you would be interested. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. She 
ask me a bunch of questions. And then next week I started. Um, Amazing. They initially put me, and they do this with all the interns, is they put them at different desks. But I didn't want to work at any of the desks. Like mm. I was like, I want to work at the magazine. Like mm. stop, stop mm. putting me in different places. Like I just want to be <laughs> here. Stop putting me in a box. Okay. Yes. I just, I knew exactly what I wanted. And at the time the magazine used to have like a separate office and it was like wow. a glass door. So it was just like, Oh, this, mm. this holy space of like mm. the magazine. Um, so I interned there. Brilliant. For, I can't remember a couple of months. And, and then I wanted a job. I was mm. like, I just, I need to work. I want to make yeah. my own money. They weren't hiring at the time. So I took another job. I worked at a book fair for a while, Okay, just like a temp position, which was really cool because then I got to work in like events and I love books. And so like in that sense, it was great because I got to learn a lot about things that were in some ways related to production because mm. there is a lot about events that is similar to production. Yes. And it also made me like keen to work. Yes. Because it's like, it's super intense, like especially leading up to a, a big event, like a book fair, there's just like so much going on. And then the Operations, whole week. technically, Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like having things organized, like I was in charge of like a specific area and that's where a lot of the interviews happened. So mm. there was like a slight kind of journalistic element to it, which was really nice. And then while I was doing that job, an opening was available at the national at, okay. in the magazine. So I got a phone call and I started okay. there and wow. I worked there for a while for, for several years. So that's kind of like my foray into this world and how I ended up. You know, it's in interesting, like I think, so it's weird because you have a very strong, obviously background in media then. So you, yes. you essentially create like, you know, through all of this, um, it's so interesting how like that happens. And like, so eventually you ended up in the world of media. So I want to know, well, yeah, I mean, how did you end up just founding Snap 14? Like, so I feel like a lot of people, first of all, you guys, you and Adam are kind of like the kind you know i don't know some people love being behind the scenes and this is your first podcast so i think your audience is going to want to know like essentially what was the founding story why did you name it snap 14 and what was your vision for it at the beginning i guess you know yeah. hmm, well <laughs> <laughs> we started we started snap 14 really like it was out of our living room like yeah. it was not something that we when we first, when he did our first, first production job, it was not something that we intentionally had in mind. But mm -hmm. then right after it, we were like, okay. Oh, like right after doing, the first. Right after the first yeah, job that we I did. Love that. Yeah. I mean, like, I think it's so cool when that happens because it's like, I mean, for my podcast, it's like right after the first two episodes, I'm like, this is it. This is going to become the thing. Yeah. And it's so weird how you feel that. Like, Absolutely. It's like, what, what is that, Aslan? Because yeah. I remember actually my, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he was like, I literally was like, oh, you know, I have a podcast now. He's like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> because I swear it was an online magazine and I was just like in PR, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and that is what it ended up being. Yeah. So, Okay, I'm going to just go back okay. to how we started it yeah, or like yeah. like why we started it. We 
I got approached by my old boss. Okay. Um, I was living in Egypt at the time. I had just moved like a year before and she was looking for a producer in Egypt. Okay. She'd worked with other producers here and just didn't feel very comfortable giving them like the the full responsibility uh-huh. of of the job. And so she said, I need a producer. And I was like, I don't know anybody. She was like, I need you. I need you to produce this. Mm. And I was like, I don't know what a producer does. Because mm. when I worked at the magazine, my my job title was like fashion coordinator, stylist. Like it was never in production. You had but like a production arm somehow. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Like as with most people, I think, especially in Egypt For and sure. like in the industry in general in fashion, a lot of times the photographer or the stylist gets loaded with the responsibility of production. Right. Because it doesn't seem like something massive because it doesn't have to be. It can be as big or as small as you want it or need it to be. Yeah, that's a and, good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and she just said like this and this and this and this, all these mm. things that you were doing that were organizational based, those are all the job Production. of a producer. Yeah. So I ended up like we Adam and I and we had a, a third partner with us at the beginning she like we each handled different mm. tasks mm. and managed the shoot and everything went super smoothly everyone was really happy the end results were great and we just thought wow like yeah. this is this is number 1 really fun number 2 we realized that there were there was a huge kind of gap in the market. There were a lot of people producing yes. ads, films, TV shows, and people producing, you know, like just really big like scale. Large scale productions. But I remember, you know, I remember when I first started also and even by the way to this day, I would say you guys are a go-to because one, you're excellent at what you do, and two, because there is there's still scarcity like right like I feel like not so much now I mean when we started in 2017 there was like as far as as our research goes there was there was nobody who Mm. was just producing so there were a lot of people who were doing like PR and marketing and they're very good and so like part of that ends up being production as kind of like a sidearm but there was no one just doing production Production. in the fashion beauty luxury Mm. kind of niche and Oh, you're so right. And the thing about that is, is because what you said where like the stylist takes on the role of the producer or any one of the teams or like, you know, the creative director, the production suffers. And like the problem with that is quality. And I think what you guys really brought was like a focus on production, therefore better quality. Therefore, I guess this is, or I I know this is why your work stood out eventually. Thank I mean, correct you. me if I'm wrong. Like, Thank I don't you. know. Like I think that's a big, that's a big part of it. Yeah. But also another, the other side is that when you as a creative, like if you're in there as the stylist or the photographer, you're in there to do that and to also plan, mm. you can't really give a hundred percent to your creative tasks yes. because you're thinking about all of these other things that you shouldn't have to think about, honestly. Right. Like finding a location yeah. or ordering lunch or making sure people are there on time. Like those oh, are yeah. all tasks that fall onto the creative team if a producer is not on set. Yeah. I mean, actually, I think it's important to really define what production is because I think a lot of people don't even know, like when you say you're a producer, like, can you tell me in your, in your sense, what does that mean? For sure. So 
we we're, we're doing a, yeah, a workshop <laughs> next month um oh thank god <laughs> yeah with uh, well, anyways someone, yeah. i mean that's actually great okay with that specific theme in mind is like mm-hmm. what is production because right a lot of the interns that we hire sometimes like during the interview process i ask them like what do you think production is and mm-hmm. a lot of times they don't really know because there isn't that knowledge so what a producer does is that they bring together the team like mm-hmm. that's number one if there mm-hmm. isn't a team uh two they handle all of the logistics whether it's yeah. you know flights people coming in from overseas uh cars to take the model from her house to yeah. the location um oh we forgot something i'm gonna send the driver to go pick it up like those kinds of logistics and then catering so like anything related to like food making mm-hmm. sure there's coffee making sure there's um lunch mm-hmm. finding locations getting Props, permits camera everything mm-hmm. getting all kinds of equipment okay um hiring props like motorcycles or trucks or animals or you know like all of those things casting also falls under production um i'm sure i'm missing a lot of things like running the show like you're you're like essentially you know just making sure everything is ready for this thing to run smoothly exactly for, for the shoot to happen Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget the details. Like, it's interesting. I was reading a book the other day. It was one of um, Robert Greene's books. And there's an entire chapter about details. And I think your job involves a lot of that. Like, it's just so detail oriented. So, like, I want to ask you how you stay organized in, like, this process. Because I've (laughs) been on shoots, trust me. And it's fucking chaotic, to say the least. So, like, how do you, like, stay, you know, as Nadia, like, calm, collected, organized? No, I'm just kidding. Maybe you're not calm. I I think I'm pretty calm. Most people actually say I'm I'm really calm on set. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, there are... In the lead up to the shoot, I'm like not so calm, okay. to be honest. Okay, but fair. then, like on the day of the shoot, like hold everything is set and we just we just go for it. Okay. Um, but the only way to do that is to be super organized. So mm-hmm. I already have, for the most part, like SOPs and systems in place where we know that, like there once we pick this location mm-hmm. this has to happen and that has to happen and then this and so on what's so, an sop like a standard operating procedures okay cool. so there's just like like a system yes. essentially yes yes um clients are constantly being communicated to mm. the teams are constantly being communicated to i think like Probably seventy yeah. percent of my job is is just communicating to people. Mm-hmm. Um, WhatsApp groups, they're oh, yeah. the best. WhatsApp groups. I There's mean, like a hundred groups. <laughs> I really envy those who work in a field where emailing is a thing. And well, I mean, we email too. We email a hundred percent. But yes. WhatsApp groups are a lifesaver. Absolutely. Really, like, and I think especially in a job like really. production where there is like so much now, information now. that constantly needs to be mm. um, shared, and people need to be yeah. updated, and people need to see where you are and know where to go. Like that's that's the way to go. So how else do you stay organized? Mm. Um, I create a lot of lists. Okay. I write everything down. I'm very forgetful. Like most people think I'm not because I remember (laughs) a lot of things, but I'm really forgetful. And what saves me is just having things listed, written down, literally can be on a scrap of paper. It does not have to, there's no specific method to the madness, but it just, I know that it needs to be 
documented. I love that because I always, you know, what stressed me out the most when I first started was like this whole, like, like you said, the method to the madness, like what's the best way to do the grid or what's the best way to stay organized or what's the best way to edit. And I found that if you give yourself a bit of space and what works, like what works right for you and for the team. Um, okay. So I want to know, I want you to give us like a little bit of a an anecdote let's say like what was your favorite production you've worked on so far if you oh, can say that's so tough I mean, there's like two I would say that are really really special to me as end result and also as a process okay so one of them was um a couture editorial that we did for Vogue Arabia a few years ago in Paris okay and it was probably the wildest in terms of like what we were trying to capture and the the num- the amount of things we were trying to do in one day we mm-hmm. had three photographers on set each capturing different looks with around five i want to say different models mm-hmm. and it was all happening in one studio okay there was clothes coming in and out and i was by myself in paris producing this mm-hmm. um it's oh my like God. yes and and can everyone you, that you, you mentioned in, like brand or not really i can't remember okay to be honest but <laughs> the, the 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 whole shoot is on our website so all the brands are on there okay um but it was like multiple brands it was basically right after the couture shows mm-hmm. so everything was being jetted between different sets. So right. we would have like these pieces from this time to this time. And okay. I had to make sure that those got shot at this time and that they were wow. packed by this time so that when the messenger comes, he can take them and go okay. drop it off to the next shoot. And then certain models had to leave at a certain time. And then in the middle of the day, we got okay. a call that we needed to also go shoot outside. And so there was just like so many moving parts, but it was incredible. Like the photographers were all so brilliant the creative director who was on it was incredible. I was working with um, the fashion director at the time, Katie. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, yeah, so just so much creativity, so much like sheer passion. Like everybody was working with what they had and the results were incredible. Like it's still one of my favorites in terms of like photos, like the end really? photos were so, so I want to ask you actually, because I get this question a lot, like how do you work with people outside of the cities you live in? So you're saying it was in Paris and you're a production agency based in Cairo, right? Yes. So for example, when I interview guests from Milan or Dubai or whatever, um, how do you reach out and grasp these opportunities? Emails, lots of emails, yeah. <laughs> a lot, a lot of emails. emails. I'm used to it because of my my old job. Like when I was right. working at the magazine, a big part of what we used to do was travel to different countries and shoot there. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like in the five years or six years that I was there, we went to, we produced in Sydney, we produced okay. in, um, on the at the Great Barrier Reef, we shot in New York. We were in London. We went to Hong Kong and like just so many different cities, Paris. Like, so you have like this worldview. And so, so you don't think that you should, that's the thing. Like, I feel like a lot of creatives, it's like, if you feel like you want to branch out, you, you need to seek the opportunity. Right. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And you, put together like a good, clear email. Yes. You include 
whatever you're trying to do, who it's for. Like there's just like kind of mm. like the basics of reaching out to anybody. You explain your background, you mm-hmm. share your work, you share the client that you're working with, and then you just follow up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, I think this is really the hardest thing is you really have to follow up. Oh, yeah. So like making phone calls, like when I used to work as a stylist, I was making phone calls to all of these press offices requesting samples. Yes. And I, you know, when I would do it for the French brands, I had to talk in French Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I speak French, but it's not amazing. And it's definitely (laughs) not like where I can translate to samples and looks and, you know, like it was, but you just, you do it and Uh you, you pursue, you keep following up and then you get there eventually. Yeah. Um, so that was like one of my favorites Mm -hmm. because of Mm -hmm. just the whole process and, Paris and Mm -hmm. the creatives involved and the second one that I really really loved was a shoot that we did last year for a brand called Mato it's an Australian brand okay we did two days one in Cairo one in Fayoum it was such a lovely group of people really laid back really just like fun Mm, like it was fun mm. in the sense that we were traveling important and so underrated like it was fun yeah something honestly when I used to shoot and or like be in shoots or whatever on a set um I think just having fun with it like remembering that it's like actually a creative process and like the more you can really enjoy it with the people that you're producing this with Mm. I think is it just it makes so much difference in the work right yes um so i want to know about like a difficult one like a like a shoot that was mm. crazy and and not not so smooth <laughs> not so fun not so smooth <laughs> like if any come to mind or one that you learned something from maybe you want to share i think like one of the hardest ones that that i did was like a, a couple of of shoots together with like one with the same creative team the issue that we had was that the permit process Mm. in egypt was changing at the time okay and so from when we first pitched and 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 sent out our like our whole like timeline and our quotes everything changed like oh wow this was about two years ago. So there were huge, huge changes that were happening, not just in the fees of like applying for permits and and getting them, but also just in where you're applying. So you would initially, if you were shooting at like the pyramids, for example, you would go to the Ministry of Antiquities Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and then just get it from there. But now it's like you have to go to three different ministries yeah. You have to go to the censorship board and like there's just it became such a difficult process and I like halas like they they were booked to come the jobs were confirmed everything was going through and we somehow had to pull this out of nowhere and make it work. Really? And it was so stressful. Oh my god. Like it was one of the few times where I was just like I just want to disappear. Like, mm. I remember that feeling where I was like, I just don't want, mm. I just don't want to do this anymore. But did you make it happen? And like, yes. How oh, did, absolutely. Like, so was there ever a point at any shoot where you're like, well, you said you don't, you don't take no for an answer. So was there ever any point where like, I'm pulling the plug or some, something of the sort or when yes. you reach that point? I mean, it was literally just one time. <laughs> 
And we learned this was a very early a lesson. learning experience. And after that, it never happened again. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 I know. I know those. Yes. This is this is a big lesson, and you're like, we're gonna deal with that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay. And at the end of the day, like it all really just comes down to like the relationship that you have with the mm. client, with the team and how transparent everybody is. Like if there is no transparency between all three parties, mm. that's where the problems start to come up. For sure. Every single time I've, I've seen this every time there's an issue. It's mm-hmm. always because there's a lack of transparency. There's, it's just not a hundred percent clear. Interesting. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm like very, very keen on communicating well and communicating in writing because that is really the key. No, I love that. Listen, I even, um, even to get you on the podcast, you're like one of my most professional guests and trust me, I've, I've interviewed, you know, high profile figures, et cetera. And, every type of person actually in in so many fields, but yeah, I mean, emails, questions, WhatsApp groups. And I love that. I I thrive on that. But the thing is, is that you can't, you don't find that often. No, Like I have guests like rescheduling left, right and center. No, no, no. It's difficult here. People don't really have too much respect for time. And I think it's, I mean, you face this obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But, um, yeah, I think that's, that's an incredible thing to have. Um, so I think one of my last questions for you actually is how do you balance work and personal life? Well, maybe we can like throw the mic to Adam. (laughs) Um, badly. It's badly. Yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) no, because I got this question too, but you're, you're a mom, right? And you have a beautiful daughter. So I think, you know, Um, yeah, I think people wonder, especially in production. So, yeah. 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 I mean, production is the job that never ends really. Um, and Adam and I are partners in life. We're partners in business. Mm -hmm. We're partners as parents. So there's just so many Mm -hmm. like layers to it. And he's much better than me at just like saying, okay, done. I'm done for the day. But I find it really, really hard. Um, having a kid has really changed that to be honest, because you get to the point where you're like, I just want to spend time with my daughter. Yeah. For me, the only way that I can really do that is to just like put my phone away and completely disconnect. Mm. But when we're on shoot day, shoot week, like that prep time, I need to be on call all the time. Yes. And I think because she used to come with us on sets, like she used to be with us from when she was six weeks old. So she's like super used to being like in the production life. And she understands that like when mommy's on set, like I don't mess around when mommy's working, I don't interfere. Mm -hmm. She's a pretty good set baby. That's amazing. Um, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I also think a huge part of it is that Adam is very involved as Mm. like, a partner and as a parent and we to some extent have the difficulty because we share the same Mm. work where we can talk about it forever but because we share the same work we really understand each other and we really understand the needs of one another right and I think that this is something that's really hard for a lot of like parent people who are in this field whose partners are not because it's a very difficult job to understand unless you're really in it and doing it um i think that's an interesting point so it's like if you have if one of you is in production and had to be on set for like 
12 hours or 16 hours or more, whatever it is. And then the other was not. And I think it's interesting because if you, you can never get that perspective, right? Like, so that maybe makes it more difficult, but, um, I love that point And I love the whole disconnecting completely from your phone. I think people think that it's, it's, I don't know, it's possible not to be on your phone in our fields because in media as well, in my field as well, I can be on my phone 24 seven. Like it's oh, crazy. Sure. Like it, sure. it literally. And then if I'm sitting with family and they're like, why are on your phone? And I'm like, I'm working. It's like such this, <laughs> it's the lamest thing, right? Like yeah. they just don't believe you. No, like. no, absolutely not. I think in general, like family, How can I make them believe me. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Most families associate work with like being in an with office work. at a desk, you work from this time to this time, mm-hmm. work ends, and then that's it. Like, you're, it's your weekend, it's your evening, your mm-hmm. morning, but that's not the case at yes, all. Yes, um, So you, you implemented, like, a strategy. You're like, I, I need to get away from the phone, and then that's that time. And yes. Yeah. But do I don't know? always do it well, I yeah, have to yeah, say. Yeah. I don't always manage it, yeah. but yes. <laughs> um, all right, so I think uh, we like to ask a question on the podcast um, to all of our guests, and it, the question is, what is your North Star? What is the thing that you're most passionate about? What is the thing that drives you when you lose direction? You know, what's the thing that motivates you the most? So I think every guest answers it so differently, but I always like to ask. So what's mm. your North Star? Yeah. Thinking about this question yesterday, I was like, what is my North Star? <laughs> A few things. I would say the main thing is my intuition and just going with my gut, a huge part of my, my life and, and my daily kind of routine is that I wake up early, like we were saying, and I, I have a meditation practice. I have like that time to really just tune in and like hone into what is really like, what is underneath all those layers Mm -hmm. and deep down, like at the bottom of it all is just this kind of like intuitive feeling that, is what I always go back to. And whenever something good happens, I know that that's where it came from. Whenever anything bad happens, I'm like, deep down inside, I had a bad feeling about this, you know? So when I'm really, really lost, that's definitely where I go to. Um, another big part of it is my, my family, my community, like my, I love to talk to my mom. Like she's definitely one Mm. of the first people that I go to when I feel really lost. Um, Adam, my partner, like just being able to, to have those conversations and just back and forth. Like some of my friends are incredible because they are super honest, really kind, but just very direct. Yeah. The people that are around us that surround us in life or mm-hmm. we have we have a nice uh, a nice group that's amazing so um okay so my last question for you is what's next for nadia and i think i want to <laughs> make it specific to you since this is you know this is your first podcast episode so sure. it could be about anything it actually doesn't even need to be about work hmm. <sighs> well what's next for me is at the moment i'm like we're we're in the process of growing our team and uh and that involves hiring it involves like learning to manage better yeah. and and you know you would think being a producer and managing projects I would be great at managing <laughs> there's still so much to learn and I love to keep learning about these things I never studied business or management or any of those things like in school or in university. And so that's definitely what I want to get more and more um, into and what I want to learn more about. And yeah, to just like, to just grow. 
Yeah. yeah. Love it. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. That's a wrap. <laughs>